Welcome to the December 31st, 2020 edition of Digging Out. I'm Claudia Shamba, your host. This program sets out to offer a means for getting us past November 3rd, December 3rd, and even January 3rd, which we're rapidly approaching. I'm drawing on guests from everywhere, anywhere around the world, to collectively clear the debris from the last four years, the last 400 years, or even so many millennia. And as I ask each week, I'm very interested in your listeners, your suggestions, and you know how to reach me. It's at cshamba at kuci.org or on Twitter, you can reach me at C-L-S-H-A-M-B-A-U-G-H. And today's program, we're going to have guests from the local chapters of Citizens Climate Lobby. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Digging Out. Each interview gives us a long format opportunity to be unrushed with, for consideration of delicate national exercises like what we're undertaking together today in climate change. My guests are Tom Osborne and Mark Tabbert. Tom Osborne, as an academic, has specialized in California and Pacific history. In 2018, I just want to mention one of his works that he lectured at UC Berkeley and Stanford on his recent coastal sage, Peter Douglas and the fight to save California shore. And I want to bring that up because I had the opportunity of interviewing the late great Peter Douglas near the last couple of months of his life. And he would have been on a, a great guest for a, a digging out show having been at the ground floor of building the California Coastal Act, which is fundamental to a great deal of policies around the country, protecting access and resources to the vaunted coast that we all enjoy. Aside from academia, Tom Osborne has been active in public affairs. And in 1988, the Kettering Foundation selected him to participate in the Dartmouth Conference on Soviet American Relations currently writes the green light. You may have seen his column, an environmental column for the Laguna Beach Independent Newspaper. And he's just begun work on his fifth book, A History of Environmentalism in California. My other guest, Mark Tabbert, has been on my older standing show, Ask a Leader, almost a dozen times. He is a national board member of Citizens Climate Lobby. And Mark's for those of you who haven't been introduced to him before, he has a background in the private sector. He's built a company or two. He was in the special forces in the army. And so both with them, we'll talk today about what they've built, what's the charter for citizens climate lobby and how it's clearing the debris in submitting a not so modest proposal to reconsider our economy with the carbon tax and how they're taking others along with them, other organizations, other office holders and thinkers along with them to make this, to codify what they will explain as the carbon tax. Tom comes to us today from Laguna Beach and Mark Tabert from Newport Beach. Welcome to Digging Out Tom Osborne and Mark Tabbert. 
Thanks, Claudia. Thank you. Claudia. That was first Mark and the second was Tom. So if either one of you, I don't know which would prefer, could you please give us just a brief introduction of the Charter for Citizens Climate Lobby? And I already sort of scooped the, the carbon tax piece, but it's a central piece. And you could, in a sort of your thumbnail elevator speech, tell us what the carbon tax is, what it's trying to get done. Go for it, Mark. Well, you sort of said two things, Claudia. We have two goals at Citizens Climate Lobby. The first goal is to create the political will for stable climate. And the second goal is to empower individuals to have breakthroughs in exercising their personal and political power. We can't accomplish the first until we empower citizens. And that's what happens at CCL. I've been to Washington with people who go there as a nervous librarian, retired, and come out of there a powerhouse, so exhilarated by the process of lobbying their member of Congress. So that's what we do. And the carbon tax, to describe that real quickly, Virtually everybody today that studies what our options are to deal with climate change without a political bias comes up with the same conclusion, the same idea, and that is to put a price on carbon pollution. And what that means is when oil, coal, and uh, gas comes out of the ground, it pays a tax depending on how polluting it is. So stuff like tar sands would pay the highest tax, then coal, then oil, then gas. And that money, is paid by the fossil fuel industry companies and it goes into the government's hands, but immediately is put into a separate account and that money's on a monthly basis distributed to Americans on an equal basis. So everybody gets a dividend with the money that we collect from the oil, coal and gas companies. Now, what that does is it protects people at the bottom of the income spectrum. When France put a price on carbon, uh, you might remember the yellow jackets. I don't know if it's still going on, to be honest. But that was a bad carbon tax because they didn't return the money to people. So who gets punished would be the people that are poor, the people that are, you know, their gasoline expenses is a real important part of their expenses, while the well-to-do person could care less about the rising fuel prices. So I'm going to talk specifically, there are currently 12... Before, well, Mark, before you make that uh, specific okay. point, what is envisioned for that account where the carbon tax would be collected? Is there anything existing or would it be creating an entirely new institution? It's an entirely new account. And, you know, it's, that's not hard to do. People that have studied this, we could set it up under existing Department of Treasury, I guess you would call it. I can't tell you specifically, but there's a lot of flexibility. The government, not only our government, but all governments know how to tax and they know how to stick money where they want to. British Columbia is one example of a province in Canada that has a carbon tax. They've had it in their province for probably close to 10 years. And if they don't give all that money back to the people per the law, then the Secretary of Treasury, whatever his title is. The Provincial is, Secretary. Yes, he doesn't get a salary for that year. And they've never had a problem with that. The money all gets distributed to uh, people in British Columbia. Does that answer that, Claudia? Uh -huh. That's, yeah, because I think when people are hearing about a new kind of institution, they, they want to know whether there is capacity mm -hmm. for that to be created and that talks to the feasibility of the carbon tax taking off. And we're, we'll talk about carbon tax and maybe Tom and Mark both wanna talk about the nomenclature itself is a point that is always 
brought up is how best to frame it. Carbon tax, carbon fee, carbon dividend. So that's something I think we should speak as we're talking in the fundamental sort of charter. May I make a, a comment about the, the question is, I thought you were you're getting at was the, the, the mission of yes. the climate lobby. And I, what occurred to me when I just learned from you that this program is entitled Digging Out, that this particular topic fits into that context quite well as a historian, I think contextually, and, and what, what we're doing right now, say we, United States and many other countries around the world, is we're trying to dig our way out of a dependence upon carbon as our primary source of energy since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And this means that historically, this could be the most significant determinative revolution in all of human history, changing our, our major form of energy. So that's what we're, we're about. And I think I see Citizens Climate Lobby as giving us a, a method uh, and a mechanism for doing that. And for me, the, the, the method would be depolarizing our society. This is a bipartisan effort that we're undertaking, and it's, it's huge for that reason. And to be able to get the bill in Congress, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act passed, we're going to have to work in a bipartisan fashion. And to do that, we're going to have to deal with the whole issue of the polarization of our society over the past four years, which I'm sure has been a something you've talked about in your program, uh, I would guess, many times. Yes. So, but, so I've been thinking to, for myself, how do, we, how do I work in a bipartisan fashion if I'm not depolarizing my own, myself in my own thinking? So I've got to not think in terms of being a member of a particular party and think in terms of, of what's, what's in the interest of both parties and how to uh, merge those interests in, in, in dialogue. And I think that's what we're going to probably be doing for the next, uh, the remainder of this program. So that that is the, the the method that I see pretty much for citizens climate lobby. And the mechanism for citizens climate lobby, as I see it, is the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act that I thought Mark described uh, just fine. Uh, I summarized it just a few moments ago. So when you pre present the fundamental aspect of this dividend to both parties in legislative rings. I mean, you're dealing with the federal legislature. Is that a compelling sort of, they see legacy and they, they're in, or is it an overwhelming kind of feature that fundamental isn't quite what they went there for in their political careers? I mean, is it, does it giveth and taketh away or is it, they, they understand legacy and they're, they're more and more of them really signing on because they see that opportunity they can be a part of. To me, I don't know what, what uh, Mark's answer would be, but to me, that the answer to that, to that question would vary from legislator to legislator. And the, the offices that I have gone into over the past couple of years with Citizens Climate Lobby, I've spoken with, with members of Congress, some of whom received campaign money from fossil fuel companies. And these people were not, didn't seem to me particularly concerned about their legacy in terms of addressing climate change. They were looking at terms of running their campaigns, in my opinion. So we have to deal with politicians who think along those lines and have those particular values. values. 
And then there are others in Congress who seem to be more concerned about this particular issue and making this part of their legacy. So, yes. Yeah, so, so legacy is, ta- it's tailored, essentially. So, so I wanted to mention in this show that the very first Digging Out, the inaugural show of Digging Out this last October was with Randy Leos with Braver Angels. And I thought, what a great way. I mean, he was the natural starter and he was the perfect way to go. And I'm learning from preparing other interviews with Mark and Tom's wife, Ginger Osborne, is that that Braver Angels has been involved and has the sort of similar cachet as Citizens Climate Lobby with a bipartisan sort of approach, appeal, an appeal meaning in that literal and figurative sense to the federal legislator. So maybe you could both speak to why Braver Angels and Citizens Climate Lobby is very well positioned to move into the next, it's the 117th congressional session and with the new administration to sort of bring both parties along where probably other organizations don't have that kind of relationship with politics. Well, the reason we're, Citizens Climate Lobby is sort of in the ideal position right now versus any other environmental or advocacy group is that we've been working both sides of the aisle now since the very get-go, since the very beginning. Uh, Citizens Climate Lobby always understood we need both parties. When the the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act, the uh, EPA, all those acts and organizations got started, they passed in Congress by, in the House, by margins of like 400 to 35, huge margins. And we need that kind of policy today And so everybody in Congress knows us as working both sides of the aisles. I was at Tom Campbell's office when he was Dean at Law. He was a former member of Congress. And we mentioned the name Results, a group called Results, which is who we pattern ourselves after at Citizens Climate Lobby. Results worked on world hunger programs and they changed the budget of the United States from $50 million to $500 million dollars in a period of a few years. And when I mentioned results to Tom Campbell, he immediately stopped the conversation and he pointed to a picture of Africa on the wall. And he said, that map is here because of results. So this is a guy that had been out of Congress for 10 years, but still remembered the bipartisan approach. He was a Republican. And yet he remembered the bipartisan reproach of, of results. And that's who our founder, Marshall Saunders, when he started Citizens Climate Lobby, so. And I hasten to mention, Tom Campbell is in Northern California. Some people might start thinking John Campbell, who previously was the congressional member and represented us also in the the state legislature. But Tom Campbell is now, he still is serving in, he returned to Congress. Um, No, Tom has been out for a number of years. He actually- He he has not returned. I'm thinking of another Campbell, then there must be three. (laughs) (laughs) There may be 33, who knows? Okay. Campbell was the dean, and now he's just a, he stepped into a, just a professorship position. And you see him once in a while in the Orange County Register. He publishes, right. they, get, they publish him quite a bit. He's okay. at Chapman University, Claudia. Okay. And he's, he's the former dean of the business school at UC Berkeley, and Chapman lured him away from uh, Berkeley, and he's, where, he, where he was on the faculty of the law school for a while. 
Okay. That is the same one I'm thinking of. And I thought he had served recently, but maybe it's because of, he, he refers that. So, so Mark is answering about that bipartisan aspect. And I don't know if you wanted to add something to that, Tom Osborne. I thought uh, Mark answered it uh, very well. That's, uh, and what he said is a made, one of the major reasons why I've decided to uh, work with Citizens Climate Lobby, because it seems to me to be, if not self-evident, it's, it, uh, there's a, a lot of evidence that suggests that only a bipartisan effort is going to work. We look what happens to the, the Affordable Care Act. It did not have that bipartisan support, and it's barely held up as a result of that. So we have to get to that point. And so that's the, the question that we should be asking ourselves, is, it seems to me, as the question that Citizen Climate Lobby had raised and, and tries to answer, how do we best work in a bipartisan fashion? I, I don't think there's a, you know, a simple answer to that question, uh, but something that we learn in, in, in a process. Well, and it goes back to our basic philosophy is we go to every member of Congress with the same level of respect, appreciation, and gratitude for what they're doing and doing their public service. We always look for common ground. When we disagree with somebody, when they say something we disagree with, our answer is to ask another question, is to try to dig into their thinking, to understand where they're coming from, to understand who influences them, that kind of stuff. So if you go and recite facts to somebody that you disagree with, you're never going to get to first base with them. I want to go back to something we didn't answer, Claudia. You brought up the name, the word tax. Right, right. The whole, the semantics are really, really important, I'm sure, in your interactions. And in your, pop, your you're the most vigorous letter writing campaign I've ever seen. So um, the, how you pitch this notion to the public and to office holders. Well, today, primarily, I don't know about you, Tom, but primarily I talk carbon pricing. And that starts the conversation off uh, without using tax or fee. Carbon tax and carbon fee and dividend are sort of the names we've used off and on during the years. And we've changed depending on what's going on in Congress. We haven't been steady on that. But right now, carbon pricing is popular. Mm -hmm. I think I said in the beginning of the show, if you look at our options, what are the chan- What can we do about climate change? What can we afford to do? What can what can we what can get past? What can get passed in Congress? Groups like the AMA and the Mayors Conference of all the Conference of U.S. Mayors, which is all the mayors in the country, and big business groups. And I could I could get into some detail about the groups that support carbon pricing, but there's just a, a raft of people who separate themselves from the carbon, from the political aspect of the deal. And they understand we need to put a price on this stuff. If we raise that price, if we raise the price of dirty stuff, it's gonna make clean stuff more attractive. And it doesn't cost the government anything. The administration fee for doing a, a carbon fee or a carbon price, it's like a couple percent of the money collected to handle that transaction. So carbon pricing is getting to be widely known and George Schultz on our advisory board, former Secretary of State, former Secretary of Treasury, he said it's not a tax when you give all the money back to people. He said it's a fee, just like you pay a garbage fee when you leave your trash out for the garbage people to pick up, for the refuge people to pick up. That's not a tax, it's a fee. That's how Schultz looks at it. And he's on our advisory board. You know, this makes me want to find out from you, does Janet Yellen, has she not tipped her hand about 
some kind of a, a role or is it for not sitting secretaries of treasury to weigh in? Is she not privy to do that in her role she's assuming or can, or she, has she not written about the carbon fee in the past as a citizen and not an office holder? She, she's actually a founding member of the Climate Leadership Council, which is a, a group of old line Republicans and the majority is old line Republicans like Schultz, James Baker, a lot of secretaries of treasury, big, big economists, widely known economists that started a group called uh, Climate Leadership Council. And Yellen is one of those people. So she's, okay. been, she's been pro carbon pricing uh, for like three years publicly. And okay. John, Kerry, John Kerry just came out in the Hill, the publication that's passed out in Congress every day, uh, the Hill. And he said, how to tackle climate change is with a carbon price. Okay, so I want to peel back a little bit, break down how this works, that it's when carbon is pulled out of the ground, that's one time it's taxed. Is it going to be, does it work a little bit like value added that as it's processed, there is a fee associated with processing a carbon product or? A Tom, take it. <sighs> well, my understanding is that wherever the carbon enters the market, at the, the mine, the port, the well, that it's at that point that the tax uh, would be applied. It's a one-time only, or is it as there is refinement and distribution? Is, are there sort of junctures at which a continued tax, a continued fee would be collected? Tom has it right. It's just one time. One time only, out of the ground. Yep. Right. Okay. And it will change as the market of the pricing changes. The, the, the no, fee it'll, cha it'll change according to the schedule that the Congress builds into it. So we, the bill that's right now in Congress with 85 sponsors, including one Republican. Uh, Who's that? Well, Francis, Francis Rooney? Yeah, Francis Rooney. Okay. In Florida. And I think it's 86 that we have last I heard. Okay. Yesterday I looked at- Breaking news, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so they, the bill starts at $15 year number one, and it goes up $10 every year, which is exactly what our recommendation was when we were proposing this to Congress. And if the um, emissions don't fall as fast as we need them to fall, then Congress will raise it more than $10 a year. I don't know the exact number. I believe it's 15 when that doesn't happen. So when who determines what's the measure of it not falling? I guess it's a it's in the market, but is where, is there like a secretary of treasury that, or the reserve bank, or there's some entity that is watching that market and then can call on Congress to act, to adjust the, the fee? They're not, they're not watching the market. They're watching the, uh, the levels of uh, emissions. So, okay, so who's watching that, that to determine that it's time to change the fee? Probably some branch of the National Academy of Science. That's, that's right. It is the National Academy of Sciences. The so there's a leap of faith that everybody's on board. Everybody is is really collaborating with making this institution work. And that National Academy of Sciences is the most prestigious scientific organization in the world. And they they know they're on it's, it's on them that they know that they're the sort of appointed entity to participate in that way. I mean, are they ready? Are they are there members within? I mean, like there used to be. Um, like Ra uh, Ralph Cicerone that would be on there now. He's, of course, uh, passed away. But 
Ralph Cicerone type persons, members of National Science Academy that would be assuming those roles and you can be assured of that? Well, it's in the bill, so <laughs> okay. you better be informed. But they, you know, but they need to be talking about that now, though. That's their responsibility. They need to be forming those muscles. And Well, they, Claudia, we have satellites right now that can measure the depth of the ocean within like a centimeter. <laughs> right. Uh, I, under, you know, I understand there's the technology, but it's the uh, those people that are in those particular institutions, if they are, they know what their role is. They would uphold that responsibility that you see is written into the legislation. Yeah, and, and we're measuring that up on the, the top of the mountain up in Hawaii. And there's, the science is there to measure. The science is there to tell us how we're doing. They already, every year we know what our emissions are. Versus right, I know, I've got that. You've been very clear. It's just now there are people that have a role here. And that, that could be the, a link that maybe needs to be really reinforced in, in making this program work. Well, I actually think that's not a big problem, Claudia. I okay. think. That, uh, okay. Well, that's that's why I'm asking these things. So, okay. <laughs> if people are sort of wondering, like, uh, this is, is, are we relying on, are we taking a leap of faith that this would be all managed? It's management. Management is why we're in a lot of debris around in unrelated topics as well. So, for those of you who've just joined us, I'm Claudia Shamba, host of Digging Out. My guests are Orange County Citizens Climate Lobby activists, Tom Osborne and Mark Tabbert. We're talking about the carbon tax fee dividend and we're going into the 117th Congress. I'd like to give you both an opportunity to explain what the Climate Caucus is that Citizens Climate Lobby has put together and how it changes from one session to the next because of the way in which you're building it, what it must necessarily include. Let me say one other thing about the bill that we haven't mentioned that's real important. If uh, the United States does something and China doesn't, you lose all the Republican votes, probably some Democratic votes. So there are currently 12 carbon pricing bills in Congress today. We're, we're talking about the most popular one in this conversation. But all of those bills, every one of them without exception, has a border adjustment to make sure that other countries follow our lead and do what we're doing in terms of putting a price on carbon within their borders. And if they don't, then they pay an import duty if they ship products to our country. And we believe that as soon as we do a carbon price, like we're discussing, right. that Europe and everybody will fall in line almost overnight. Everybody's been waiting for the United States to do something about climate change since the very beginning when we didn't, we did, we've never done the right thing in terms of international, except for Paris. Um, the Paris Climate Agreement. Paris Climate Agreement. So it's important to understand that we're talking about a global solution and we're looking at everybody doing what we're doing. And that was what I wanted to interject before we, before we stop talking That's about- That's very important. Climate. Yes, thank you for that. And that, Global climate aspect is that, and we, we heard that re legacy isn't necessarily a way you're able to pitch this to certain members of Congress, but does the global aspect, do they see that as a, a stronger selling point to sign on to one of these 12 carbon pricing bills? I think they do, no doubt. I mean, 
because there are some sort of isolationists that are in Congress, we know, and that they would be indifferent to this. I think it works well, especially with conservatives who will invariably ask, well, so we, we do this, we impose a, a, a fee on ourselves and put our manufacturers at a disadvantage. What, you know, what about China and India? The, those are the countries that are big polluters as well. And our answer is that those countries are moving in the same direction. And we know the European community in, I think as of January 1, 2023, is, is going to have the same uh, border adjustments and they want the border adjustments. So, so the, we would be at a disadvantage trading with the European Union countries if we don't have our own carbon fee and dividend uh, program. Right. Because our, our exporters would be, would be facing the same border adjustments that, you know, that the European countries have imposed on us. Drive that price up. So, so thank you for that. Now, can we look at then the climate caucus in Congress and how that works from session to session. You know, Claudia, that was really sort of a step, a stepping stone to where we are today with the bills in Congress. Uh, it still exists, but I, I can't tell you a lot of, you know, it's still a group of Republicans talking to a group of Democrats. They're uh, pairs. Every one of them joins well, a caucus in a pair. It was a pair until the 2016 election when a lot of the Republicans lost their seat and they weren't replaced by, you know, by somebody, by another, they were replaced by Democrats. So the numbers got out of, they got up to 45 and 45 before the 2016 election. And then it became an uneven number. And I'm guessing without knowing that it's about 40, probably 45 members that are Democrats and probably 25 that are Republicans. Oh, wow. I'm completely pulling those out of the air. But I know they're, I mean, they're generally speaking, they're telling the, the story. The numbers may not be right or they're not right. <laughs> so you know where I'm gonna go with this caucus question is, both of you live in the 48th congressional district. And so you lost one Democrat in the caucus when Harley Ruda was defeated by Michelle Steele. I think people want to know, what is your plan with Michelle Steele? The, the plan will be the same as always been for us. We'll try to build a relationship with her. We'll try to understand her view on climate change. And we'll try to sell her on the economic benefits the, there are many, many benefits in terms of having a healthier society. If you pass a carbon tax like, like in HR, well, I shouldn't use the number anymore because the number will change now, but the name of the bill is the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. It'll be re, renumbered. It will probably remain the same name. Okay. Uh, when that bill passes, the air gets cleaner, lives last longer, people, don't, people actually die because of pollution. Uh, people are sickened. The health cost in this country will start to drop precipitously in many, in many areas. There's so much dirty air on the East Coast, especially, where uh, people are breathing dirty stuff. And that would change. Uh, coal would go away. The estimate is coal will go away in 10 years once this bill passes, completely in the United States. So, you know, there's so many selling points for Michelle. Uh, every economist right now in the country, virtually every economist, has signed a letter that was started in the Wall Street Journal in January last year, where 57 
notable economists, including 27 Nobel laureates. They all signed a letter and they had six Roman numerals, six suggestions of what we got to do in terms of carbon pricing. Every one of those six Roman numerals, it was in the Wall Street Journal, is part of the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. And that's every economist. There's 3,500, I think, signatories at this point that have signed on to that one. And so if Michelle Steele, and there's a tremendous number of business leaders, uh, the Silicon, uh, Silicon, Valley, uh, Silicon Valley Leadership, Silicon Valley, yeah, that's their name. Silicon Valley Leadership Group supports the price on carbon. There's 70 health organizations like the AMA, American Lung, American Heart. They say put a price on carbon that reflects the true social cost. There are 21 leading multinationals uh, with combined annual revenues of like 1.3 trillion, including companies like Ford and Shell and Citibank. And they say an economy-wide price on carbon is the best way to achieve carbon reduction goals. So I'm just reading from a list but this list is pages and pages long. So if Michelle's, I'm more, I'm sort of optimistic about Young Kim. Young Kim spoke- Who's at, representing the 39th. She defeated uh, Cisneros in the congressional 39th. She district. spoke out. She, she spoke out against Trump when he, he called the COVID virus. He called it uh, something that she took to be anti-Asian. Right, Wuhan or Chinese flu. Yes. He's called, he's called it the all along, yes. So she spoke out against that, which, you know, puts her her voting block at risk, you know, the Trumpians. So I'm, you know, anyone that's a Citizens Climate Lobby, um, this is my ninth year, you have to be optimistic in this business because, you know, bills don't change overnight and we keep thinking we're going to pass it next year. You're playing the long game. I've, I've been watching. I'm amazed how how single minded you are about this. And it's and the long game is what you keep in front. Claudia, I'd like to chime in on this. Uh, respond to your question. Yeah, it's because it's an interesting one, because I've got a lot yeah. of reactions to what Mark is saying, but I would rather you are the one reacting and not me. Regarding the 48th Congressional District and, and Michelle Steele. Uh, first of all, uh, I've been paying attention to her, her public statements. She does not deny that climate change exists. She acknowledges that it exists, in fact. How does she do that? She'll just say words to that effect uh, on Twitter, for example. Okay, okay. Now, the most important thing, I think, to her as a politician, uh, going back to her public statements on Twitter and elsewhere, is that she wants to help the small businesses, especially. Right, that's her refrain. I've heard that that's many right. times. Right. This is in her, and this is in her district. Now, remember that 18% of the electorate in the 48th congressional district is composed of Asian Americans. And a good number of them are in the service industries and you know, around Westminster and surrounding areas, uh, Fountain Valley. And the bill that, that we are advocating for, uh, Energy Innovation Carbon Dividend Act, is going to provide something like 2.8 million jobs. And most of these are going to be local jobs. So think of the share of those jobs that are going to go to that portion of Orange County that makes up uh, you know, her constituency in the 48th Congressional District. Those are service uh, sector jobs to a large extent. And so her, her voters could stand to benefit 
I think, by the passage of this particular measure. She's not going to like regulations, but she, I think she'll be more res responsive to uh, a market uh, mechanism such as this act. So I guess it's hard to know how much of a role it's on her in the kind of transparency of how funds for the pandemic, the rescue funds have been distributed around Orange County. And so I don't have a clear picture of which sectors interest her or whether she uses the money for some sort of patron. I don't really, it's, we have nothing to go on. There, the county is not transparently transacting the, the distributions of those funds. So it's, and I'm, I'm mindful of a very particular dogma that she's working from. We know she is a protege of Dana Rohrbacher. And I know that you didn't get, I mean, you, you've established a relationship, Citizens Climate Lobby has with Dana Rohrbacher, her, the Harley Ruda's successor, the previous 48th congressional district representative. And so I'm looking at what is sort of her way of operating and the, her way of what of whom she's supporting and I and the kind of code that she's using and the sort of brain trust that she's traveling in. And I I just don't know how much you're gonna clear the debris in the 48th like you want to. We're, we're, it's, and I bring it up not because it's fun to do, it's because it's your congressional district and it is fun too. Well, Rora Bacher was, was the way I saw him at least, I don't know if Mark would agree, but. Uh, I saw him basically as a climate change denier, and uh, I would not put Michelle Steele in that same category. I think the times have changed uh, sufficiently that we, we know that more Americans now, we, we know this from, from all the polls that have been taken, especially by uh, and that are cited in uh, Yale Climate Communications, that increasing numbers of Americans believe that this is it's real. Uh, the climate change, and we, we must take action uh, now uh, to, to address it. We know that younger Republicans, 40 years of age and, and beneath, that they want uh, action on climate change. So it's it's kind of a different political playing field yes. now okay. than, than uh, back in the Rohrabacher days. Uh, and I'll, I'll make a quick footnote about Rohrabacher. Dana Rohrabacher, in a meeting with myself and one other fellow from Northern California, said to us, Mark, if the bill actually gets to the floor of Congress, I'll probably vote for it. Not, oh, he did. Because, not because I'll ever believe in climate change, but be, I hate air pollution and I know how dirty the air is because of fossil fuel usage. So, um, and, and he said that, and we, uh, I have one witness to that. Uh, his staff never believed that he said that, but he, he said that. Did he uh, say that close to the end of his serving no, or was it earlier said, on? We got to know Dana. We got to be pretty close friends with Dana. Dana was a, what I liked about Dana is he's kind of, he met with, he met with his constituents and he liked citizens climate lobby people. We had beers with him in Washington more than once. Uh, one time I had four scientists there, PhDs out of Scripps. Uh, most of them students still in their PhD programs. And we got the nicest note from his uh, communications director the next day talking about how much Dana enjoyed the meeting. So we, 
Citizens Climate Lobby knows how to listen to people. Anytime my job that night in that, in that bar, that uh, Irish pub on the patio, my job was simply, if anyone started quoting stuff out of the newspaper, I would cut them off. I said, guys, we're here for a nice evening. You know, if you start, if you start quoting stuff out of the paper, like 90% of people do believe this, or that's just gonna create an argument. And that's not, that's not gonna get you any progress. So yeah, Dana, Dana was a, he was actually a very funny person. I got to know his wife had dinners with he and his wife. And one time his wife, I wouldn't be saying this if Dana was still in office, but since he's, he's up in Maine and he's retired at this point, his wife was starting to listen to us more than he wanted her to. And he actually he was pretty abrupt in how he told her to be quiet. That <laughs> uh, she didn't know what she was talking about, so. Um, well, she said she was data driven. Right, and so you could just so then okay, well, we'll give you data, we'll give it to you. <laughs> but that, um, yeah, I hope we have the same access. And Harley Ruda obviously was very accessible to us. He was he was a know, quick learner. He wanted to learn a lot. That's the application that I thought was so interesting. And he walked into the deal thinking climate change is the biggest issue, and he's right about that. And he also won an award from the National Chamber of Commerce. Gave him an award for his bipartisanship approach that he was willing to work with both sides. So that was a great honor to him. I hope Michelle Steele turns out to be someone that gets that kind of award, because that's what we need. If Michelle Steele or Young Kim signs on as a supporter and endorser of our legislation, they might really help move the party in the right direction. So this begs a little, there's two different questions here. Do you see that maybe that, are you appealing to, to them as a twosome? Do you sort of, work with them together to kind of have them exert a little peer sort of pressure on the other or is that, or are they pretty independent? They don't identify with each other, Orange County, Korean American well, women. I wrote uh, a letter to the editor. It, there was an article in the uh, Orange County Register yesterday and it was about both of them together. And that's where I learned about Young Kim going against Trump on his anti- On the, the vaccine. The, the pandemic, right, right, yeah. the virus. So the maps for all congressional districts are up for reconsideration in the next year. They're gonna all be redrawn, essentially. So that how does that affect Citizens Climate Lobby's legislative agenda? I don't know that we would know, Claudia. I mean, if, if we don't know how they're gonna be drawn yet, so we can't surmise or I, I don't think this, we have no way to look at that. Okay. But it is, it is a thing though. They're, they're yes. I mean, the, I don't know if we'll, I'll be in the 48th with you or if I'll be in the 45th. That's so that's, that's why I'm grouping them. So that it could be, a, and the other is when you were talking Mark about the national business entities, how effective or how much are you looking at, local business entities to leverage leadership of the congressional delegation in Orange County. I think Tom and I are both are doing the same thing and that's trying to get endorsements from everybody that's, um, anybody that's got some influence in the county. You are working that angle. Yeah. Okay. Yes, for example, for example, we have an endorsement uh, from McGilvery Freeman Films. It's headquartered in Laguna Beach 
and uh, it produces oh, an Oscar-nominated uh, films, the, the IMAX films. I oh. think it's, it's the major producer of IMAX films, if I'm not mistaken, in the, in the U.S., and he has given us a, a very strong endorsement uh, for the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. And that's inside the 48th too, no less. Yes, it is, Laguna Beach. But are you working on other business entities to exert that kind of leadership? Because if that's, that would be what Michelle Steele would respond to. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, so is that, that's on your, uh, on your tablet? That's on the agenda, yeah. Okay, okay. Good, well, I, as we're coming to near close, and tr trying to clear the debris. There's a lot of debris in a lot of different sectors of politics, of the economy, and going into this new administration in the White House and in the congressional delegation or the congressional session. So the bandwidth is pretty full. There's a lot of, there's major democratic institutions that are getting attention to be defended. There's there's the voting infrastructure, there's, there's criminal justice, there's so many things that need, we have a huge hack of some, so many federal governmental agencies. So how is Citizens Climate Lobby, as, we, as I make this my last question to you two gentlemen, is how are, is Citizens Climate Lobby going to address the competing needs to clear all this debris? We think we're well positioned because of the interest expressed by Biden and the fact that he's, he's nominated uh, John Kerry in this position, the fact that Yellen as Secretary of Treasury is a supporter of pricing. So climate change is on top of the agenda within the administration. So whatever else he's gonna work on is up to him. And we don't have much influence on that. We're there just for, like you said, we're focused and uh, so it's really not our worry. I don't, I don't see it that way, Claudia. You don't? Tom? I just, I feel like. Yes. Go ahead, Mark. Well, I just feel like, you know, there's probably always multiple people talking to an administration, but climate's definitely been mentioned probably second to COVID in job, you know, the economy and all because of COVID. And we have kicking us in the uh, seat of the pants uh, California's wildfires and sea level rise, some of the most valuable real estate on the entire North American coastline is in jeopardy because of that sea level rise. So that'll be a force that's, that's pushing us. And I think uh, pulling us will, will be a vision, to me at least, of moving to a post-carbon world. Yes, and I'd say I'd add two things to that. One is the Republicans know they have to have a policy to deal with climate. And if they look and do the same, if they do the same thing that anybody else would do, which is examine your options, carbon pricing is actually a conservative idea. It's using the market to affect change. What, what could be more Republican than that? And the other thing is, like Tom said, the fires and the floods and the storms, there's nothing that's going to get better next year. And the year after that's going to get worse. That's the, the sad news is the pressure coming from the environment is going to put more and more pressure on the, the, the need for action in climate change. And we're part of that pressure coming from the environment as a, a group of people educating the public and lobbying 
with leaders from the national level down to the local level as well. And with the interest, I understand there is, there's political will in the, the new administration to return to the Paris Climate Agreement. Is Citizens Climate Lobby involved with restoring that agreement, the, the US participation? Is that part of your focus? Uh, we're, we're currently for it, we, we, we favor that, but our focus is not so much on the, the Paris Climate Accord as it is on passage of carbon fee and dividend legislation, specifically the, the act that we've been talking about, but maybe the form of that will change and the various provisions will change to, to some extent, but we're certainly in favor of the US uh, rejoining uh, the Paris Climate Accord. In Paris, Paris was a great thing that Obama was able to get everybody on board and all the world did it uh, and signed on with Paris. But the truth is a lot of very, very important climate advocates like uh, James Hansen. Uh, from NASA, formerly. NASA head. He said uh, he was very disappointed in Paris because there, was no, there were no teeth. And what he pushes for, and a lot of people push for, is the same thing we're pushing for. We're looking for Paris with teeth, with muscle. If you don't have, if you don't have some muscle behind your, you know, your legislation or your, you know, your agenda in the UN, it's it's only as good as people's willingness to do the right thing, and that's that's not very reliable. And what this bill offers is it has legislative teeth in it. And that's the problem with Paris is that there's no enforcement mechanism. It's advisory, right? It's a, a, a voluntarily. Yes. Involvement. We, we, never, we never spoke against Paris. We never speak against anybody that's working on their vision of what to do about climate change. Everybody, everybody is, there are a lot of different ways to go at this thing. We think we're onto the one that's the most, uh, the most best. <laughs> so are you, finding you're growing the Orange County chapters in terms of the breadth and the range of demographics here? Mark, you, you have something to say about this, I'm sure. Well, you know, we were the first chapter in, in Newport Beach we started back in 2012. Uh, and I kept pushing, pushing, pushing for other chapters to grow. And, and we have seven now. And the last one to join on was Laguna. And I always said, if we had a leader in Laguna, we were going to have a huge chapter there. Well, the Laguna chapter today, led by Tom and his wife, Ginger, right. is the largest chapter in Orange County. It's almost sometimes double the number of people that come to our chapter meeting. We have 34 members who, who come pretty regularly, sometimes uh, even a few more. And we had a planning meeting, our Laguna chapter did, about a week and a half ago, I would guess. And this is to, to plan the year ahead for our, just our chapter. And we had 19 people <laughs> attend this, the Zoom meeting on, on just that. And it was, it was very rich, uh, the ideas that were, were contributed. So I think there's a strong sense of CCL having a, a larger presence throughout Orange County. And one of the things that came up at our planning session, Claudia, I don't even know if, even know if, if Mark uh, knows this, is that we are planning uh, strategies right now for meeting with uh, Lisa Viejo's city council and ah. Laguna Hills. We're doing the same in Huntington Beach. 
For new chapters there. For new chapters. Yeah. Okay. I'll say, I'll say one more thing about CCL. We would love anybody listening to look us up online. We're easy to find. CCL is a group of bright, nice people that want to do something. That's my general, and I know that flatters me to say I'm nice and bright, but I'm not dumb and I'm not stupid, you know, and I'm pretty nice. I talk to people all over the country. I'm part of our fundraising effort right now and at the end of the year. So I have the opportunity as a board member to talk to people across the country. And invariably, I'm talking to nice, bright people that want to do something, people engaged. They don't want to just go have coffee. They want to do, go have coffee and do something out of that meeting. Well, gentlemen, I'm so glad we've had this chance. This is the last Digging Out program for 2020. I actually don't know whether I will have a show digging out in the next winter quarter. It all depends on the assignments given at the Radio KUCI station. So I look forward to some updates that we can possibly have. Maybe we'll have several organizations dealing with climate at once and take care of the debris all together. But I want to thank both you, Tom and Mark, for giving us your time. And I really appreciate your invigorated, focused activism on everybody's behalf. And thank you, Claudia. I appreciated your very thoughtful questions. Always appreciate the chance to be on, Claudia. Thank you very much. Thank you. My guests on Digging Out are Citizens Climate Lobby activists from Orange County, from the Laguna Beach chapter, co-leader, co-founder Tom Osborne, and national leader and local Newport Beach chapter leader, Mark Tabert, here on Digging Out. Thanks again, gentlemen, and happy new year to you. Let's have a new, good new year, okay? Indeed. Thanks, thank you, thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Well, this is the close of Digging Out 2020. I began this show in October when KUCI was chugging along. We had an opening, a fresh opening that needed fresh programming. So I took it. This program will continue in the new winter quarter. It will be moving to Mondays at 5.30 p.m. I hope you'll move your ears from this slot over to Join me at that time next week. I really appreciate your listening. And before I toss the show to Bart San Leandro, I just want to wish you all a very, very healthy, happy new year. Here's to 2021. Talk to you next Monday. So long. Thank you.